Good morning. Good morning. morning. Great to be here with you. My name is Matt. I think I've met most of you by now, but if not, I'll stick around for a cup of coffee afterwards. I remember on the first weekend I was here, um, Neil made me a cup of coffee and I didn't get one sip in because I was meeting so many people, which was so lovely. When something is taken from you, it's an opportunity to learn that God means everything to you. I'm going to say that again. When something is taken from you, it's an opportunity to learn that God means everything to you. Today I want to talk about contentment. And although verses 1 to 8 of Hebrews 13 was read out, I'm just going to focus on verses 5 to 6. So if you want to have that open, and I'll just read it again so that we're all on the same page. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Artaman is a beautiful suburb. Who lives in Artaman? Anyone? Yes. All right. Represent. Uh, Artaman's a beautiful suburb, at least what I've seen of it so far. Naomi and I can safely, I think I can safely assume we're the newest residents to Artaman, having moved in on Friday last week. Uh, and I've been on a couple of runs around the suburb. I'm trying to get fit. I know it's the end of summer, but you've got to keep trying, right? And uh, as I've been running along, I've noticed... Artaman is a beautiful suburb. And I also noticed there are houses in Artaman. That might not surprise you. It surprises me because Naomi and I come from the city uh, where there are only really apartments. Naomi and I lived in a, a lovely one-bedroom apartment. But here, as I run along in Artaman, there are houses. And I'm guessing by the size of them, some of them are three, four, five bedrooms big. Uh, there are beautifully manicured lawns front, back, and often on the side as well. There are gardens in Artaman. I remember, it's incredible to me. There is grass in Artaman. Uh, not just grass, there are shrubs, there are trees in people's properties, their own properties. They own trees. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, phenomenal. And as, anyway, as I've been running, I was, even just a couple of days ago, I was able to look at these houses and I said to myself, you know what, these are big, beautiful, lifelong kind of houses. You know that many of you have lived here for years and years and years. Um, these are the houses that you can have for life. You can have a family in them. You can retire in them. They're great homes. Anyway, as I was running along, I was thinking about this and I was going, you know what, I'm content right now with what we have, with what God has given us. We have a two-bedroom apartment in our time, which is an upgrade for Naomi and I. And it's, it's lovely. Uh, it's got wooden floorboards in it. It's got uh, picture hangers. We love art, so we can hang our pictures in there. We have one of those kitchens that has been thought through and is new. You know those kitchens? How good are they? <laughs> Where the distance between the bench and the other bench or something is... The, you don't have to walk. You just turn. There it is. Perfect. I love those kind of kitchens. And as I was running along... I actually had this passage of the Bible in my mind at the time, 
And I had that instinct inside of me that actually I don't think this is what contentment is really all about. Because the kind of contentment I was experiencing, well, it's not really contentment. You see, I was still getting what I wanted, wasn't I? I don't want a big house at the moment because I don't need a big house at the moment. In fact, that might be, you know, something that you'd have to try and work out how to deal with. Whereas a two-bedroom house is all we need. I was still getting what I want. I don't think that's really contentment, is it? There's a um, show on Netflix at the moment. Who has Netflix? All right, okay, great. You know what I'm talking about? It's like online television where you can just, you don't have to watch what they tell you to watch. You can watch whatever you want to watch, apparently. At least that's the illusion it creates. Um, and there's a, a documentary on there called Minimalism. And it's about two guys who have given up um, what you might call the normal, at least American life. Uh, they've sold their home or they've you know, given up renting a place and they've packed their whole life into two bags. Uh, 40 pieces each, apparently. You can imagine that's a couple of jeans, a few t-shirts, hopefully some deodorant. Um, and I'm sure they have a credit card as well. Uh, their whole life in, in two things. And they're advocating th that this life is better, that you can be content with less. Uh, a similar fad is probably that one that some of us are familiar with. Uh, I think it started in the 70s. It was called the capsule wardrobe. You know what I'm talking about? Well, the, the latest version is Project 333, where people are encouraged to reduce their wardrobe down to 33, uh, 33 items for three months. And, and the idea behind it is that less is more. Uh, in fact, their tagline is, be more with less. Um, the ironic thing, I think, about these things and even my ability to settle for less um, compared with what's going on around me is that actually I think the pursuit of less is, is still driven by the same desires of the pursuit of more, isn't it? I still want, I want a different life. I want a better life. I, I want something. I have a need to be fulfilled. And for some, more is more. For some, less is more. But it's the same desire that's controlling it. I want a better life. I want to be satisfied. I want to be content with going, what's going on around me. This passage, I think, speaks to this issue of contentment. And today I want to talk about what I think the real issue behind contentment is. And then I want to talk about what is here, I think, a real solution to contentment. And then finally, I want to reflect on what that new reality can look like. How do you actually be content in everyday life? And what are some examples of that? So what is the real issue? Well, I think we've talked about, it's not about changing external things, is it? It's not about exchanging what's around us for something else. The real issue is on the inside. Notice here that the preacher to the Hebrews I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that this is a sermon written to a small church, not too dissimilar from ours. Notice that he says, keep your lives free from, is it money? Keep your lives free from money? The love of money. Thank you, down the back. He doesn't say keep your lives free from money. He says keep your lives free from the love of money. You'll notice if, if you've read the Bible and you know that it talks about money a lot, one of the things it talks about is not keep your life free from money, 
It's not about asceticism or about um, austerity measures on your life. It's about keeping your life free from the love of money. Paul says to Timothy, uh, what's he say? He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus says uh, you can't serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other. It's about love. It's about your heart. I take it the real issue going on with contentment is not about what we have, but about what has us, what has our hearts. What do we love? What do we love? Another, another way to think about this, I think, about getting down deep into what the real issue is, is the question, what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? What is your nightmare? That is to say, if, if you were to lose something in your life, what, what, what would you lose? What could you lose? Excuse me, sorry. What could you lose in your life that would make you lose all your significance, all your meaning, and all your value? If you lost this thing, it would rock your world. It would give you a reason to give up on life. What do you fear the most? What's your greatest fear? The situation for the, for the Hebrews, for this church, we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, that they had, been, they had experienced religious persecution to the extent that they had lost their homes. That's a pretty, that's a pretty serious issue, isn't it? When you lose your house, you don't just lose a physical building, you lose your neighbours. You can lose the people around you that you love. You can lose family. You can lose your sense of security and identity. You can lose your sense of safety. So how do you cope with that? How do you cope with losing that, experiencing your greatest fear? Well, I gather that one of the things you, that you can do is that you can run to money. That's the encouragement or the warning, rather, in this passage here. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. You can understand why people would run to money in hard times, can't you? Why he'd be saying to a community about to lose their houses, keep your lives free from the love of money. Uh, money has that rare power, I think, to mimic what God is able to give us. Money can give us a sense of security, can't it? With maybe health care and insurance. Money can give us the pleasures of life often, travel, holidays, nice food, nice wine. Money has that power to mimic what God can give us. Money says to us, I'll give you all you want in life. Keep your life free from the love of money. I take it, he says, keep your life free from the love of money for two reasons. The first one is that if you chase after money, you will never have enough. You will never have enough money. I'm sure you know that's true, even in your own life. You will never have enough money. Money will always let you down. And secondly, if you pursue money, then you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to have the very thing in life that can satisfy you, that can complete you. David Foster Wallace, uh, you might know him, he's a North American or know of him. Uh, he actually died uh, recently. 
Uh, he's a North American novelist and essay writer and also um, an English professor and the head of creative writing in LA. And somebody said he was one of the most influential and innovative writers of the last 20th centuries. And I thought this quote from him, uh, you can find it online, is very insightful. Uh, he says this, it's a long quote, bear with me. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. He's not a Christian, by the way. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when, the time, when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this, but the important thing, is to, the trick is, is to keep it up front in our daily consciousness. Consciousness. Worship power and you'll feel weak, afraid, and you'll never ever have... Uh, worship power... Sorry. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid. And you will never ever uh, have more power over others. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being find out, found out, and so on. Pretty much everything else will eat you alive. Money is not dependable. Many of us know that too well, don't we? So what is reliable? Is David Foster Wallace right? Does he know what he's talking about? That looking to something else other than these things is where we can find contentment. Well, you can be thankful. In Hebrews, there is a because. Keep your life free of money. Be content with what you have. He says at the end of verse 5, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is the real solution. This is the real solution. Why is it the real solution? Notice what this says. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Christian can be content because they have God with them in any and every circumstance. I was reading a commentary this week that I thought said something pretty helpful as I was thinking about this passage. It said, our contentment is tied up in the character of God. Our contentment is tied up in the character of God. And I think that's really helpful for a number of reasons. Have a look at the character of God being expressed in this promise to us. God has said, notice that for a moment, God has taken initiative to say something to us, to make a promise. He didn't have to do that. We didn't ask him to do that. And yet he just stepped out, he moved in, and he said, I'm going to make a promise to you. That says that God is a gracious God. He's giving us more than we deserve. Notice too that I think this says he's a good God. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Isn't that what the human heart wants to hear? Our our human problem is relational. I think it's personal. You know that because everything might be going swimmingly in your life. 
And if one relationship is out, then it feels like actually everything is out, doesn't it? And God's, God is good. He fulfills the human heart. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The other thing I notice here about God's character that we can find contentment in is that he's faithful. God says, there will not be one moment in your life. You might be brushing your teeth, combing your hair, if you have any. (laughs) I don't know what that experience is like. (laughs) I think about it often. There is not one moment where he is not with you, Christian. And he says, I will never disconnect from your life. I will never forsake you. Isn't that faithfulness like no other? When was the last time money said that to you? A wife, a husband can only say that for this life, till death does us part. But I think there is something more profound, more obvious, perhaps more simple that is being pointed out here. And that is not just about God's character, if we lost sight of the bigger picture, that God is with us. The emphasis here is that he himself, as a person, as the ultimate person, is with us. God is with us. We can be content with what we have because of who we have in our lives. We can be content with what we have because of who we have in our lives. So the real issue is deep down, it's in our heart, it's craving love. The real solution is not money, it's not external, it's that God can fill our hearts. There's a new reality. How do we live this out? Is this just a truth or is it a reality? How does it work? The Christian life, I think, is not about settling for less. The Christian life is about being filled to overflowing. Every day. The Christian life is not about minimizing what you have, living that minimalistic life necessarily. Remember, money is not the bad thing here. The Christian life is about being filled to overflowing. Let's have a look at the Christian response in verse 6. It says, So we say with confidence. Notice that? The Christian is not dragging themselves through this life. The Christian life has confidence, it's upbeat. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This might be in inverted commas in your Bible. That's because it's a quote from the Old Testament, from Psalm 118, which begins, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This passage is not talking about any God. This passage is talking about a particular God. Christians know that this Lord is our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We believe that God the Father sent God the Son into our world to live a perfect life, a life that we couldn't live, to take our sin upon the cross because if you and I received it, then we would be eternally separated from God. And he rose to life again so that we could have new life with God. Christians know that God has loved us, that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is faithful, 
because of Jesus Christ. We're not guessing or wondering whether God is good, whether this truth is real, whether God will never leave us or never forsake us because he has turned up in space-time history in the person of Jesus Christ and he has given his spirit into our hearts to be with us every moment. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I have learnt the secret of being content in every and any circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in sick or healthy, whether in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. Let me just finish with one last example of how we can live this out. I'm sure you have your own. In fact, I'll just mention briefly that I, my issue in my heart, my idols, not money really, not yet. Maybe one day it will be. Um, maybe I've, yeah, anyway. My, my problem in my heart is approval. I want you to like me right now, even as I'm preaching. The biggest thing I was thinking about this whole church service, for the most part, was will they like me? Will the sermon be okay? But I, I can tell you, and this is something I wrestle with. I wrestle with it this morning. I've wrestled with it my whole life. But I can know because God has given me his approval. The most important person in the world has given me his approval. It doesn't matter whether I achieve anything, whether you like me, because God loves me. And that's enough. That should be enough. That gives me contentment. Horatio Spafford, uh, in the 19th century, decided he and his family would take a holiday somewhere in Europe, and they chose England. And he, because of business, was delayed in America, and he sent his wife and his four children uh, to England before him. On November 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, their ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel, and 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Spafford's daughters. N.S. Spafford survived his wife, and upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to him saying, Saved alone. Spafford then sailed to England. Going over the location of his daughter's deaths, according to a daughter born after the tragedy to him, Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul, the hymn on that journey. He wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. Give thanks to the Lord for his good, his love endures forever. Lord, we thank you that us here today who know your love to us in Jesus Christ can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Lord, in a world full of lack of contentment, of want and desire, in our own hearts that are full of want and desire, Give us contentment found in having you with us, in knowing you. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.